Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 139 unread books on my shelf. With me is my friend Toby. Hey. My brother Andrew. Hello. And my husband Dylan is our sound recordist. Hello. You guys have some weird hellos. Mine, mine was perfectly normal, I'd like to say. <laughs> I didn't have to be longer than Andrew. <laughs> guys, it's not a competition, except it always is. So... I have a lot of things to talk about today. I'm very excited. Excellent. Okay. Cool. First of all, I experienced hashtag Indie Bookstore Day last Saturday. It's celebrating independent bookstores and there's, you know, you're supposed to go and buy books and support okay. bookstores. And I bought a book, but I'll show it to you, Toby. Okay. Sounds like some shame. Well. Uh, yeah. Okay. This is like a roundabout way of saying that you have shame. No, 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 no. Seems like you're trying to get around the shame. I have zero shame. This is a book called Bibliophile by Jane Mount. She's telling the truth. It's like a coffee table book. And it has pictures of bookstores and bookstore cats and book <laughs> recommendations and just stacks of books. Mm-hmm. Toby, admire. I, I am admiring it. Yeah. It's very colorful. And I'm already almost done. So oh, you're, you're like, I didn't know you were going to read it straight through. Oh, yeah. It's like a coffee table book. I thought you're supposed to just flip it open. You, no. <laughs> you, you are supposed to, but I that's not how I roll. Okay. I, I read from front to back. Fair enough. On every coffee table book or just this one? Not on every coffee table book, but I do that like with magazines, with everything. I have to read every word, there's, even if I'm not interested. I was going to say, there's so much stuff in, uh, in every single magazine and coffee table book that you don't need to read all the way through. Yeah. But so I don't have any shame because I'm probably going to finish reading it tonight. So it's not even going to go on the shelf. But I just wanted to report that I did that and you guys should be proud of me for not buying more books. Okay. So be supportive. Uh, yeah, okay. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll all right. You. Speaking of shame, Toby... Yeah. Um, we got some feedback from listeners. Yeah. And they've recommended two romance books that you get to add to your shelf. Oh, yeah. I'm not, why am I ashamed of this? I'm excited. Well, it technically counts as shame because it's added to okay, your shelf. Okay. I, have, I object to this. I don't think Toby should be ashamed at all. He asked for recommendations and they were given. <laughs> Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, yeah. Well, let's hear him. I'm excited. Okay. Well, recommendation number one is from our listener, Kate. And this is a book. It came out last year. Okay. It's called The Proposal. I don't think I've heard of it. By The Proposal by Jasmine Guillory. 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 Anyway, <laughs> uh, when freelance writer Nicole Patterson goes to a Dodgers game with her actor boyfriend, his man bun, and his bros, the last thing she expects is a scoreboard proposal. Saying no isn't the hard part. They've only been dating for five months, and he can't even spell her name correctly. <laughs> the hardest part is to face a stadium full of disappointed fans. Carlos comes to Nick's rescue and rushes her away from a camera crew. He's even there for her when the video goes viral and Nick's social media blows up in a bad way. Nick knows that in the wilds of L.A., a handsome doctor like Carlos can't be looking for anything serious, so she embarks on an epic rebound with him, filled with food, fun, and fantastic sex. But oh when my their... god, how long is this synopsis? But when their glorious this is the, hookups wait, this is the whole, start breaking this is the, whole the rules... Book. Okay, I like that. Okay, so I'm gonna pick one. No, and you have yes, to read them both. That's no, not fair. No, I'm gonna pick one. I said one. I like... I'm gonna say I like this. This sounds fun. It's in L.A., so it gets points. What's the other one? And maybe, maybe abbreviate the synopsis. How dare. It's not a synopsis. It's like the back of the book. That's basically, I mean, it's basically a synopsis. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's see. If the other one sounds great, then then I'll read both. So wait, we have this you one's... on record as saying, no matter what, you'll read the first one. No, no, no. I, no, no, I'm no, no, no. That's one, what but... I heard. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> what a selective hearing in this podcast. Choice number two comes from our listener, Evan. This book is called The Time Traveler's Wife. 
I have heard of By this. By Audrey th- Niffinger. Is this not already on my to-read list? I doubt it. I want to read this one. If, you know what? Yeah. I'll read them both. Whoa! Because I, yeah. I want to read The Time Traveler's Wife anyway. I've heard it's a very good book. After all this talk about only picking one. It's a very good movie. I know. Well, I was uh, a little afraid. <laughs> but <laughs> no, those sound like really fun and really different books. So I will put them both on my to-read list. Yeah, that's okay. good. That's yeah. good. If it were two like books like The Proposal, I wouldn't have my, I would have <laughs> understood your, your hesitancy. <laughs> but I would still try How to dare. make you read both. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kate also sent this one called The Flame and the Flower. A lusty adventurer married to the sea, <laughs> Captain Brandon Birmingham courts scorn and peril when he abducts the beautiful fugitive Heather Simmons from the tumultuous London dockside. Oh, dude, but no power can I read on that the- one instead? Yes. Oh, oh, it's got like the bodice ripping cover. Yeah. I would honestly prefer to read that one. Than the proposal? Yeah. That one seems like so much fun. All three? I mean, why not? It's a long list. Just hope that either the numbers don't choose them for me three times in a row or someone who has the power to choose whatever book I have to read next doesn't make me read all three in a row. Andrew. (laughs) Okay, great. Well, so now you have three more on your list. Great. Excellent. Excellent. Heck yeah. The other thing I wanted to talk about is the foreign report. Mm. Andrew, come in, Andrew, give us the foreign report. So it has been another eventful two weeks um, in our quest to be downloaded in every single country in the world. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We got quite a few, including three off of our prediction list. And this time it's a little Mm. more evenly spread than it was last time. So so you didn't get all of them. I didn't get all of them. Like last time. Uh, mm-hmm. So, first off, we have country to the east of Germany, to the west, I don't know, sorry. <laughs> I was about um, to be Estonia, impressed. a little country by the name of Poland. Oh. Yeah. Poland was on Dylan's list, so it's a first for Dylan. Now he has one. Good job, Dylan. Good, he was already job, pretty uh, drunk with power in terms of picking our books, but now he can officially override anything. I'm imagining the moment when he does this, which is like, he's like, the random number generator says, it doesn't matter what the random number generator <laughs> says. Because this is what I say. Exactly. Dylan just raised his hands up like Mr. Burns. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Second on our list is a little country to the bottom left of Poland that contains Kafka's hometown of Prague. That's right. It's Czech Republic, which was predicted by our own Toby. Yay, Toby! Yes. So, for those of you keeping track at home, which is everyone who's listening to this... I don't think we need to go over... (laughs) (laughs) Toby now has two banked picks. Joining me on the deuce train. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. And Dylan has one. The Uno train. Bailey has none. Not at all. All right, and we had one more. I think I should get one. Well, that's not really a choice based on me deciding it's what countries you picked, Bailey. But our third country is coming out of the Pacific Ocean. (laughs) Hawaii. It's not a country, Dylan. That's not a country. Coming at you live from the Pacific Ocean, your friends, your favorite, New Zealand. Yay! Which, if you're wondering why Bailey's saying yay, she did pick New Zealand. So Bailey now also has a pick. That means everyone has at least one this is going to be quite an adventure. Hmm. I am very excited. New Zealand is the place I want to go to most in the world. Well, thanks for that foreign report, Andrew. All right. Well, this week, Andrew had a book chosen from his shelf. Andrew, what is your book? My book is Friday Night Lights, A Town, A Team, and a Dream by H.G. Bissinger. Texas forever. Texas forever. That's not how the song goes. Clear eyes, full hearts. 
can't lose. Which does not appear in any form in this book. Am I the only person on this podcast who hasn't seen the TV show? Have you seen the movie? I've seen the movie, yeah. Have you read the book? No. (laughs) Have you listened to the podcast? Have you seen the scroll? (laughs) I have read the book, seen the show, and seen the movie. Me too. Cool, guys. Toby, (laughs) do you know what a football is? Uh, Yeah, it's the one with all like the black patches on it, and it's perfectly round. No, No, that's a football. (laughs) Football. (laughs) For the people that are desperately alone and sad because they haven't seen the show, what is it about? Uh, So Friday Night Lights follows a season of a high school football team in Texas, and specifically Permian High School, or actually Odessa Permian, the Permian Panthers. Uh, The author embedded himself with the team, the coaches, as well as uh, people around the town, and created this sort of snapshot of the 1988 high school football season and the push for the state championship. So in the process of uh, integrating himself in this town, he learned a lot about some of the darker sides of just going to cheer for this team specifically the white population uh taking advantage and like sort of gerrymandering the uh borders of the black population to take advantage of their football talent but not actually provide much of an education for them there's a lot of misprioritization of athletics over academics and it really what it sheds a light on is in this area of town, what it would it's like for that three-month period or maybe two seasons if you're lucky where you can do no wrong because you're on the football team and you're a star and what it means when that stops. And so it's a really interesting conceit and he's very close to the material, um, which made it a very interesting read. It w- moved very quickly, which was in its favor. It Like for you font snobs out there, there are like huge margins on here and a kind of large font. So like my copy is 355 pages with the afterword and it read like a 210 page book. It really clipped along. <laughs> I love that comment because it's so specific to people that read books. Yeah. You know, it was 350, but it read like 210. We get it, but other well, people some, are like, what? <laughs> sometimes you get a 350 page book that reads like it's 500 does a great job of getting sources from all over so not just the football players and the coaches he gets uh sort of affiliated members of the town people who don't even know the football players involved but like are affected by the love of football that goes on in odessa my one big criticism and i kept getting hung up on it during the reading of it is the distance he puts in between himself and the people he's writing about often feels very judgmental mm-hmm. when they're he's pointing out the blatant racism and like the racial slurs that are used and a lot of the horrible stuff that goes on, that's entirely well-placed. But, like, he never really warmed up, or at least my experience of reading it, he didn't, like, warm up to the people. And it so it felt more of, like, a study versus an experience in some regards. Yeah, I felt the same There's, way when I read it. Oh, yeah, I forgot you'd read it. Um, in his afterward, he sort of clarifies and absolves himself of it. Like, his explanation for it is great. And I, like, read that, and I'm like, oh, okay, that makes a lot of sense. But my experience of reading it felt a little bit like he was watching from this hill with binoculars. What's his explanation for it? I don't remember. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. Okay. Or I'll I'll give you a quote. So this is um in the afterword, in my copy, it's on page 363. So this is specifically in regard to the backlash that the book elicited from the town, which was significant, because he doesn't... Like, it's not a portrait of a town that is 
flattering. Over the years, I've been accused of betrayal and sensationalism and taking information out of context and misquoting. I'm not surprised by these accusations, nor am I troubled by them. When I first arrived in Odessa, I anticipated a book very much in the tradition of the film Hoosiers, a portrait of the way in which high school sports can bring a community together. There were elements of that bond in Odessa, and they were reflected in the book. But along the way, some other things happened. The most ugly racism I've ever encountered, utterly misplaced educational priorities, a town that wasn't bad or evil, but had lost any ability to judge itself. It would have been a journalistic disgrace to ignore these elements. The book is fair and true. It was never intended as a diatribe or an expose. It was written instead with enormous affection and empathy, because as deeply troubling as the overemphasis was on high school football, those games were, and always will be, the most exquisite sporting events that I've ever experienced. So that's sort of his explanation of it right and so hearing that afterward made a lot of sense but like in the experience of reading it and not hearing his explanation it did seem like he was just trying to expose these people who had like let him in to get um a scoop you know what i mean do you think it would have been different if that had been the introduction instead of the afterward Maybe it would have. Also, there was a preface, a prologue, an epilogue, and an afterward. Whoa. I had to choose one to leave out, and I left out <laughs> the, the prologue. I think you made the right choice. So, no, I didn't I didn't have the experience of him, like, giving his explanation of methods beforehand. I really liked everything that you said, and I also felt like he seemed like sort of an East Coast intellectual coming in and judging sort of the small town of Texas. Totally. Yeah. But, like... The tough position is things that he's saying are horrifying and like deserve condemnation. Right. So that's my overall basic review of the book. For those of you who were fans of the adaptations into either film or television, it's much darker than those adaptations. And just to give you a taste of sort of what I mean by that, just to give you a taste, this is about sort of the harmful expectations that were placed on the high school players. Okay. In seasons past, playing for Permian had meant routinely vomiting during the grueling off-season workouts inside the hot and sweaty weight room. It had meant playing with a broken ankle that wasn't x-rayed before because if it had been known that it was broken, the player would have had to sit out the next game. It had meant playing with broken hands. It had meant a shot of Novocaine during halftime to mask the pain of a deep ankle sprain. It had meant popping painkillers and getting shots of Valium. But few in the community blanched at any of these things or even questioned them. And so that's like a, an example of sort of the darker side that this book is really focusing on. Yeah, but it's, I mean, it's entirely true. And you see that in documentaries about the subject. Like, what's the show called that we watch? The Last Chance Last You? Chance Last you. Chance You. Um, you see that all the time that these players are treated almost even in the professional football, right? Like like animals almost like it's like you got to do whatever you got to do to get through the game. Yeah. And they really do drive home that point that with a character um, who's one of the central characters, I should say that the book sort of follows a small subset of the players very closely he's not talking to like all 50 players on the team um and one of them is a player named booby miles who is expect a lot is expected from him and i don't think this really counts as a spoiler because it literally happens in the first few pages but he's expected to maybe even go pro but he uh wrecks his knee in a preseason game and immediately there's someone to replace him and a lot of the book follows what it's like to feel entirely replaceable and have been told you were so special for so long and then to have that taken away yeah and and that's that's in the show too with a different sort of character yeah the movie is pretty much a straight adaptation of the book with some of the darker elements stripped away whereas the tv show is just sort of taking the idea of a sort of troubled texas town that loves its uh high school football so while those both have elements of the darker side the book is like i'm the darkness (laughs) (laughs) 
one one thing I want to say about it, and it's been a while since I've read the book, but just for our listeners, I kind of hate watching football. Dylan, the love of my life, loves loves the Green Bean Green Bay Packers. Go Pack Go. The Green Bean Packers. I, you almost said the Green Bean. <laughs> you almost green said the Green Bean Packers. Packers. <laughs> you were so you know close that to green, green one. <laughs> and um, he watches them, and you know my dad watches watched football growing up, and uh, Andrew played football briefly as a kid. I, I have no interest in football, but I love this stuff. He makes it interesting. It's been a while since I've read it. Are the descriptions of football accessible for anybody? It's been a while. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, we have to pay Stained $5,000. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, no, it, the football is accessible. He breaks it down very clearly. And frankly, a lot of it is about the build up to the games. And then the chunks that are actually the games are pretty brief. I would say pretty confidently that even if you don't care about watching football, I don't like watching football, that there's something in this book for you. Like yeah. it tells the story in a compelling enough way. And the games are sort of incidental to to the actual story it's telling. What if I'm just really interested in the Texas oil economy? Will this book be for me? I was going to mention that, <laughs> Dylan. <laughs> Thank you for that. The only other criticism I have of it is sort of what Dylan just mentioned. The book really takes to heart telling a whole picture. And sometimes that means a chapter in the middle that talks about how a town is affected by an oil boom. It's not even the town you're following for about 25 pages <laughs> and talks about sort of people who you never heard of before and how they made their money and lost their money. Helpful for creating a full picture of the town. Not so helpful in terms of keeping you engaged the whole time. Would you say that he went out of bounds? I would say that there was a foul on the play. <laughs> so, Andrew... After that review, how many stars and are you going to keep it on your shelf? I am going to keep it on my shelf. And, you know, I should qualify this. I don't have a plan to get rid of a lot of these books. I like how my shelf looks. <laughs> I like the idea that I can <laughs> revisit books. All right. I found this book interesting enough and I could see myself in like 10 years wanting to like thumb through it again. Mm. I'll keep it on my shelf. I'm only going to give it three stars. Ooh. Mm. Again, with the paradox of only being able to give full stars, this falls victim to probably being a three and a half star book for me. Uh, aside from the sort of pacing thing I just mentioned, the way it seemed like he was observing it with sort of a preconceived judgment, whether or not he was actually doing that, uh, turned me off during it. And while the afterward did a lot to remedy that for me, the afterward was a bit too little too late. Um, so only three stars for me, but three stars with a recommendation that I think it's worth a read and I would recommend it to people to read. That makes a lot of sense. I'm just going to say it now before I forget. Listeners, if you happen to hear any birds in the background, that's because there's some birds drinking out of a fountain outside our apartment. So just heads up, that's what those squawks are. Yeah, deal with it. Enjoy nature. We can't stop them. Um, <laughs> so Toby, do you have any other facts about H.G. Bissinger? I do. His journalism nickname is Buzz Bissinger. I like Buzz Bissinger better, so I'm going to say that. Buzz Bissinger uh, was born November 1st, 1954. Um, his cousin is actually Peter Berg, the guy who adapted his novel no into way. the movie Friday Night Lights. I did not know that. I did not know that he is an incredibly accomplished journalist outside of this book. This is like his most famous achievement. He's won a Pulitzer Prize. Whoa. He won it in 1987. So the year before he went to Odessa, he won the Pulitzer Prize while writing for the Philadelphia Inquirer. And it was an investigative reporting on uh, the corruption in the Philadelphia court system. Oh, Bold move to follow up a Pulitzer Prize year with moving to Texas <laughs> to like ingratiate yourself with, in football. Well, it's like when a filmmaker has a hit and they're like, now you can do whatever you want. 
And then recently, um, he did a big Vanity Fair story called Call Me Caitlin uh, on the transition of former Olympic athlete Bruce Jenner to Caitlyn Jenner. So he's uh, a bit of a, um, how do we want to say this? Interesting looking dresser? Yeah, tempestuous personality and interesting dresser. Okay, fascinating. So he had a big blow up on HBO uh, against Will Leach, who runs the Daily Beast, um, and basically accused Will Leach in the blogosphere of shoddy journalism and is one of these guys who really thinks that journalism is dying these days, Mm. that people are more interested in clicks and outrage and stuff like that. He's also a shopaholic, right? Well, I'm getting to that. So, yeah, a fact that many people seem to be familiar with (laughs) on this podcast is that he has a shopping addiction uh, specifically to leather. I have a quote here from him, which I'll read in full. It's a shopping addiction, but it's a sexual addiction. It was leather. I have a leather fetish, which is fine, but my shopping became compulsive. I had to get packages. It's much better, but it's still there. Three, four packages a day. I bought a lot of women's clothing. And you know what? I like women's clothing. I'm cross-dressed. I like cross-dressing. My wife knows it. My kids know about it. I bought a lot of boots. I bought stiletto boots. I bought leather jackets. I had over 100 leather jackets and probably close to 100 pairs of leather pants. I mean, in your lifetime, you probably can't wear all that stuff. I spent over $500,000. So, yeah, dude uh, loves his leather. I I think all of that is really cool, except spending $500,000. That sounds like maybe need to rein it in. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot of money. I mean, yeah, he's he's admitted that, too, is a bit of an addiction. He also um, has understandably struggled with the fact that Friday Night Friday Night Lights is his by far most successful work. People ask him about it all the time. He says he has not seen the television show. I bet show. he cashes those checks, though. Ooh. Um, interesting guy. I think um, complicated and uh, pr- prone to some outbursts here and there, but seems like a, you know, a thoughtful person. Is this your research from living with Buzz Bissinger for an entire year? That's Following right. him around? Me and my wife moved into Buzz Bissinger's uh, probably New York apartment. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent research. I didn't know pretty much any of that. That's very interesting. Hmm. So, Bailey, what did you read this week? Oh, thanks, Toby. I read a book. Might have heard of it. It's called Wicked, The Life and Times of the Wicked Witch of the West by Gregory Maguire. Showing you the cover. I, I don't want to step on anybody's review here but bailey did you know that they made a musical out of this oh really yeah, no you way check it out. i hear it's okay <laughs> i'm pretty good um this book i got uh at a library book sale one of the inspirations for this podcast um because i'd obviously heard of the musical which has been around for over 15 years or something um huge success musical i actually haven't seen the musical um because <laughs> my beloved husband dylan and my friend Toby have already seen it, and they don't want to see it with me. Oh, do we see it already, Toby? I'm going to in- interrupt this bit. Bailey, you've never asked me if I want to go see Wicked. Well, I assumed, because you'd already seen it, that you didn't want to see it with me. No, I don't want to see it again. Uh- yeah. <laughs> I mean, they might be as good as Adina Menzel and Kristen Chenoweth, the original cast we saw it with. So the show was doing like a test tour in San Francisco, and at that time, it wasn't, it hadn't like really come out yet. It was just like still in like previews. Yeah, previews. It was that, previews that's, that's what it's called. Yeah. So we got to see it with um, Adina. Is it Adele Dazim. Is that no? <laughs> I don't know how to say your no, name. No, Adina Menzel. I was, I was, I was on the right And I just remember going to it and being like, "Hey, that was a pretty good show." <laughs> I read the, I read the book. I read the book. It's different, but uh, wow, I really like that show. So you had read the book before you? Saw I had it? read the book. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Andrew, have you seen the musical? I have. I saw it when it was on tour in Boston. Oh well, okay. So I'm the only one here 
that has not seen the musical. <laughs> I have listened to the songs many times on Spotify. So, so I wanted to read the book because, like Toby said, I remember it being around. I remember people enjoying it, and I knew what it was about, and I knew it had inspired this musical. My understanding of the book is very different than what the book actually is. And Toby, you really warned me last week, and I didn't understand what you were trying to say. I thought you were trying to say, like, this book is trash. Oh, no. But I understand what you were trying to say when you said change your expectations. I thought that this book would be a book, like, for children. Oh. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) That was, like, a retelling of a fairy tale, like Ella Enchanted or Beauty or, you know... It's, it's not that. Um, it, it is the plot, basically, for anybody who hasn't heard of it, is it follows the story of the Wizard of Oz, but it tells it through the perspective of the Wicked Witch of the West, whose name, whose name is Elphaba. And it talks about how she was actually um, classmates with the Good Witch Glinda um, when they were in college. And it talks about their relationship and friendship and how she became, quote, the Wicked Witch of the West. It's also about a lot of other things. Here's the thing. Yeah. (laughs) This book is not for children. This is one of the most adult books I have ever read. (laughs) Yeah. It's called Wicked. (laughs) (laughs) Toby, how old were you when you read it? I read it when I was young enough to be like, whoa. (laughs) I don't, so I read it a very long time ago, so I don't have a very concrete idea of what happens. But I do remember, like, in one of the opening chapters, there's, like, this disgusting clock, right? Where it's, like, people are, like, doing horrible things to each other all over the clock. There are so many things in our culture these days that attempt to be grim and and try and show, like, the nasty side of humanity. And this clock has stuck in my brain as something like truly awful and terrifying it's funny what you remember like yeah, back, yeah. um th- there's definitely a clock with a lot of weird stuff in it there's um explicit sex there's rape there's murder there's genocide there's discrimination there's so many torture there's there's a lot of stuff in this book it's a, it's a grim one it's a grim one i don't know if i was mentally prepared for it as a, not a child um <laughs> it's also extremely philosophical but it seems like it's what would the word be allegory allegory or a critique of politics and religion and uh, yeah it's 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 intense (laughs) i can picture a lot of children picking it up after seeing the musical and like buying it at the broadway store or something and taking it home and being like mommy what yeah And I thought it would be kind of a quick read, and it was not so much because of all of that. Not to say, not to make my review entirely negative. There were parts that I really liked about it. I really liked the conceit of it. I really like certain creative, fantastical world building that he does. I'll give you an example of a character description. Birds are being really loud, but it's not a flying monkey. It's a bird. Page 65. This is, des- this is a description of Galinda, who becomes Glinda. She reasoned that because she was beautiful, she was significant though what she signified, and to whom, was not clear to her yet. The sway of her head made her creamy ringlet swing, catching the light, like so many jostling stacks of coins. Her lips were perfect, as poured as an opening Maya flower, and colored as brilliantly red, etc., etc. And then this is another description. Um, This is of Madame Morrible, the evil headmistress at their school. It was as if her big public smile was composed of the light glancing off knives and lances, as if her deep voice masked the rumbling of distant explosions. Page 92. So, really evocative descriptions. 
Yeah, that second one in particular. I also love the way it plays with the fact that the audience already knows the story, theoretically having seen the movie. Um, And there will be points when, as you're reading, you're like, oh, oh, there's the Cowardly Lion. Or like, oh, oh, that's the Scarecrow. I know where that's going to come in. But but then there's a lot of other stuff. Bailey's doing a lot of head shaking during it's, this review. It's it's intense. The parts at Shiz, which is the college, are solid, really good. And the parts once Dorothy comes are really good. So I haven't seen the musical, but my understanding is that's kind of where the musical focus is. Is that accurate? Like the things you mentioned, the darker things are present, but they give it the sort of musical treatment. So like now that you've said these things, I was like, oh, yeah, that was in the show. Mm -hmm. But they smooth it out a bit. It's a little bit different if somebody dies, if they're like singing about it, maybe. I don't know. I came away from this book not having enjoyed it, I don't think. Mm -hmm. It was too grim for me. Maybe it was because I was too young or maybe it just didn't jive with me. And the musical is a musical, which leaves you happy and with catchy songs. Right. So, very different. And as I was reading it, I had so many questions still. I had to reread a lot, trying to understand, trying to put together what he was saying in between this artful prose. There was a part where I thought that she was um, intersex because they just... And I was like, I'm a little confused about this. I think that he was just being artful in his descriptions. So, when I was reading it, I thought... I'm not smart enough for this book. And this guy's smart. And I should just have to keep reading it until I get it. Then I went on Goodreads just to see what other people were thinking. And a lot of people had the same experience I did. And I was like, you know what? That's true. I shouldn't feel dumb. Like, I'm the reader. He shouldn't be dumbing it down for me. But he should be answering some of the questions that he poses. You know, making things a little bit clearer. I noticed on Goodreads that there are over 545,000 reviews of this book. Wow. That's a lot. That's the biggest number I've ever seen. But by the fourth book in the quartet, there's only 16,000. So I feel like people do not stick with it on the whole. I concretely remember thinking, like, finishing this book and being like, never again. Yeah, I don't. There's a little preview in the back for the next book. And I'm like, I'm good. (laughs) Um, So all this to say, I'm giving it a reluctant three star. I would have maybe give it a two star, but because of all the ideas in it, I'm going to bump it up to three. With that said, I don't think I'm going to keep this book. All right. And the fire goes. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I got it at a library book sale. I think this is a good one to give back to the library and someone else can buy it and... (laughs) Curse somebody else's day. (laughs) Yeah. So I wanted to ask you guys, has there ever been a book that you read that you thought, I'm too dumb for this book? Oh, many books. Yeah. Yeah, most books, frankly. (laughs) I sort of have felt that way about a lot of classics. I've I've said before, like, because I really loved reading, I, like, got excited and grabbed classics probably before I was ready for them a Mm -hmm. lot of the time. Um, So, actually, just looking at my shelf, I can see a few of those. But, like, The Sound and the Fury and As I Lay Dying by Faulkner, Mm -hmm. I, like, grabbed really early. I think because they were in that movie Orange County, County, he talked about Faulkner being a good writer. And I was like, oh, sweet, I'll check this out. (laughs) Orange County reference. Love it. It's a great movie. It's actually, yeah. It It is really good. (laughs) A portion of my my to-read list was created for this exact reason. So... (laughs) So yeah, I, I definitely, I've read two books by Idolo Calvino, hmm. um, both of which I really, really enjoyed, and both of which I remember thinking throughout the whole thing, like, I'm missing a lot of this. Yeah. It's the thing where after you finish reading it, you go to like Wikipedia or you go to yeah. Cliff's Notes to be like, did I miss something? 
Well, you guys are making me feel better. Listeners, if there's a book that you felt like you were too dumb, Instagram us so that I feel better. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Toby, do you have any facts about Gregory Maguire? Oh, I got some facts. Um, the funny thing to me um, overall, you know, this book is so grim and so intense he seems like a real nice guy, <laughs> like a real nice person. And he's written quite a few novels. They're all like Wicked. They're all retellings of classic children's stories. So Gregory Maguire uh, was the middle of seven children, and oh. he was um, brought up Catholic, uh, strictly Catholic. He also got a PhD in English and American literature from Tufts. And his doctoral thesis, which will surprise no one, was about English language fantasy written for children between 1938 and 1988. He has a type. Yeah. Um, he's married to the American painter Andy Newman, and they've adopted several children together. Did she do the drawings for the book? No. He did not. He has a story about um, the writer Alice Hoffman giving him some advice when he was kind of blowing up on the back of Wicked. Mm-hmm. When the musical came out, they kind of put him back out on book tour, and they were like, get out here and promote yeah. this book again. Uh, so this is a quote. Never leave a bookstore with somebody you've just met. I didn't want to ask her, why, Alice? Do you have any interesting stories you want to tell me about? I'm all ears. I just said, thank you for your advice. I'm a babe in the woods. I'm a novice. I'm not stupid, but I'm a novice. She gave me, for protection, a kind of hand puppet of the Wicked Witch of the West. She said, what you must do if you're going to go out and you happen to go to a cafe across from the bookstore, take this Wicked Witch of the West puppet out, order yourself a bottle of wine, do not drink it, just put the puppet on the bottle of wine and put the Wicked Witch of the West across from you at the table, and that will scare off all pretenders. <laughs> that was good advice, except, of course, the Wicked Witch of the West invites lunatics out of the woodwork, and so it didn't quite work in the fashion she had imagined it would. But I did carry that puppet around with me for years and told that story often. I love that. Yeah, it feels like maybe that was a bad call in that people would be like, is that Gregory Maguire? I'm not sure. Oh, wait. It certainly (laughs) is. Yeah, 100%. Also an expensive habit to buy a wine and not drink it. And there's another question um, where they asked, like, do you ever get letters from kids who say, oh, you know, Elphaba in the book is a person who's very put upon. Like, she's judged. She's ostracized. She's different. Right. Um, People kind of prejudge her as evil, right? Mm -hmm. And so they asked... Um, do you ever get letters from people who say, man, like there was a kid in my class who, who was Alphaba and, and I, I was mean to them and I shouldn't have been. Right. And his response was, no, because every letter that I get from every kid says, I am the green-skinned girl. They should be nicer to me. Oh, that's, that's really interesting. I wondered when I read it, because in the book, Alphaba, yes, is judged entirely based on having green skin, but she's also kind of born evil like she comes out with giant shark teeth and immediately starts she bites off the finger of the midwife that delivers her i don't know if they're trying to say that she deserves it i don't know so he wrote the sequels to this book he intended it to be a one-off and then he realized that the actual definition of the life and times so this is wicked the life and times of the wicked witch of the west the original definition of that is the times can be your life, and then anyone who remembers you well. So the second book is called Son of a Witch. You can infer from that what you what you may. And the third one is about the Cowardly Lion. It's called like um, A Lion of a Man, I think. Mm. And the fourth one is um, Elphaba's Granddaughter. Well, I'm not reading them. Excellent research, Toby. Thank you. I, I didn't know any of those things. You know what? You know what that was? You ready? 
wicked good. Mm. Oh, sure. Mm. <laughs> I, was, I, I meant to ask you, Bale, we're both from Maine. Yeah. Did you yeah. ever f- f- find yourself saying wicked in a traditionally Maine way? Uh, I said to Dylan, this book is wicked long. <laughs> <laughs> they said a lot more sad. <laughs> All right. So Wicked by Gregory Maguire. Three stars. Throw it in the trash. Throw <laughs> throw no. a, a thing of water on it. <laughs> no. Three star central, no, though. You, you donate it to a place where someone else can read it. You're right, you're right, you're right. So, Andrew, I hear you got a wicked good game for us. Oh, it's going to be wicked fun. Oh, sure. I'll stop doing that now. (laughs) Um, This game should be fun. Let's see. Um, (laughs) Though I don't have a specific name for this game, but let's call it Fairytale Football. Fantasy Football. Oh. Oh! (laughs) I wanted to find a way to combine the two books that we read. As you may or may not know, depending on your following of football, at the line of scrimmage when they're about to run a play, the quarterback will often call out things to his team, which sort of sounds like nonsense because it's it's a code to his team that only they would understand. Let me me demonstrate. Like, blue 42, blue 42, 85789. Thank you, Bailey, for being the football expert we needed on this podcast. Oh, green, beaten Packers. <laughs> um, so the way this game is going to work is I'm going to, in my best football voice, say a play name, which is code for a fairy tale. Love okay? it. So the way the game will work, but I will say the play, and then I will say hike at the end to signify that I'm done. Whenever I say hike... Either Toby or Bailey, whoever can get there first, can say the name of the fairy tale and I will judge. Does I love that make it. sense? Love yeah. it. No, cool. I got it. Sounds it's going to be first to four, and these should be pretty easy. This is going to okay. be pretty quick. It's going to be fun. Go team. All right, here's the first one three pink, tight, stone, stick, straw, huff puff, hike. Three little pigs. <laughs> Toby gets the first point. It was the three little pigs. I thought it was mm, Bernabert. Mm, 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 mm. Thought it was yeah, what? It was close to Bernabert. <laughs> All right. Here's number two Red 22. Red 22, Lumberjack, hike. Little Red Riding Hood. Bailey gets number two, so they are tied one to one. All right. Here's number three. Weird Duck, Brown 18, Good Good Swan, hike. Ugly Duckling. duckling. I'd give that to Toby on the line. I think Bailey completed saying it more than Toby did. I think Toby started speaking first, but I couldn't hear what he actually said. Toby is rolling his eyes at the ref. Should we send it to New York? And we're sending it to New York, and Bailey gets the point. <laughs> As I'm the only one, again, in New York. All right, here's number four. So far, it's still two to one. Get anybody's game. Gold, gold, spinner three, firstborn, hike. Rapunzel. Rumpelstiltskin. Oh. Bailey has three now. Toby, you got to get these next Rapunzel, three in a row I'm thinking to beat of Rapun- her. Why am I thinking Rapunzel? Yeah. Starts with an R. Yeah. All right, so Toby, you must get the next three right to win the game. Here's number five. Forest, forest, candy bread, hike. Hansel and Gretel. Okay, that's a tie, and to keep the game going, I'm going to give it to Toby. And I think Toby actually did start speaking first there. To yeah, my that, ear. that was Toby's. Okay, thank you, Dylan. Thank you for being a partial judge on the ground. All right, 3-2. I'm glad this is close because I like all of these. This one's a little harder. Blue, blue, hairy man, blood, blood, hike. Bluebeard's wife. Bluebeard. Bailey gets it. It is Bluebeard. Well done, Bailey. I'd never heard of that story. What's Bluebeard's? What's yes. Bluebeard's wife? You have to be a girl that reads all the fairy tale books. Is it a main? Is it a main fairy tale? No, but it's it's one that's in like that they haven't adapted. That's just in the books of fairy Aww. tales. Yeah, I haven't heard that one. <laughs> <laughs> 
Bluebeard is a story of a, a, a woman who marries like a French aristocrat and he says you can like go anywhere in the castle except for this one locked room. Of course, eventually she opens it and then there's like tons of bodies in it. I mean, there are different versions of it, but that's basically... Wow. Yeah. That sounds that's like, why it's not a Disney movie yet. Sounds like something Gregory Maguire would write. He'd make the alternate telling of it where Bluebeard's a really nice guy and misunderstood. I <laughs> was an awesome game. Fantasy football. Good title. Love it. <laughs> All right, it's that time of the podcast where Dylan chooses our books via random number generator. It ooh, is ooh. the choosing. The choosing. I I will just say before we start that I'm looking for something that's under 250 pages. <laughs> that's what I'm looking for. You when you limit it to these very specific things, you're just bound to be disappointed. Okay, well then I want a classic. I also don't know how long this book is, so well we'll find out. But Andrew goes first. Andrew, what are you looking for? I would be really excited if one of the graphic novels that's on my list came up. Mm. Mm. I could also go for maybe a newer fiction. I've done a lot of classics so far, and then coming out of a nonfiction, maybe a more modern fiction would be cool, but um, I'm pretty excited for whatever. Well, it's funny you mentioned uh, you want modern fiction because it is. You have Mohsin Hamid's Exit West, Ooh. number Aha. 26. Ah. This is a good book. Excellent. I've read this book and I liked it very much. I think we've all read this Me book too. in our book club. I oh, think yeah. I borrowed <laughs> this book from Bailey and didn't read it. So that brings us to Bailey's choice. Number 35, Everything is Illuminated by Jonathan Safran Boyer. <laughs> by Jonathan Safran Boyer. Oh, well, I'm excited. Okay, this will be this will be easy. Yeah, super easy. It's not like it's about the Holocaust or anything. <laughs> well, it's not... Wait, but is it under Spoiler. 250 pages? I don't know. Let me check. I don't think it's so. It's a pretty fast read, right? Well, this book is 276 pages. But oh, you know what? I'll think... get it on a technicality. And a, a, bunch of those, a bunch of those will be like spiral text that takes up the whole page or something weird. So in two weeks, we have The Radium Girls by Kate Moore and Everything is Illuminated by Jonathan Safran Foer. And then two weeks later, we have Exit West by Mohsin Hamid. Thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the To Read List podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads at, at goodreads.com slash the To Read List podcast. We're on Facebook and Instagram at the To Read List podcast and on Twitter at To Read List pod. Also, if you want to help us out and you enjoyed what you heard, please go to iTunes or whatever uh, podcast app of your choice and rate us five stars and leave a review. It really does help more people find the podcast and sort of uh, help get us more listeners. The other buttons are broken, so don't bother touching them. Only the five star one works. So you got to do that. Another great thing you can do uh, to help us out is just think of someone um, that you can tell about the podcast. If they love to read, um, you know, shout in their ear and very, very loud and say, this is a good podcast. You should listen to it now, 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 now. And then they'll listen to it probably. Yeah, nothing could go wrong with that. Yep. Thanks to Toby and Andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me, to Dylan for sound recording, and to Miss Jillian Beth Durkee for composing our intro song. See you in two weeks. Happy reading. Books, 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 books. books, books. Oh, I jumped the gun.